So the lesson learned is don't go on stage with professional punchers. <laughs> That's my, that was my takeaway. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues. This episode is brought to you by Braintree. If you're a developer or manager of a mobile app and searching for the right payments API, check out Braintree. Braintree's new V0 SDK makes it easy to support multiple mobile payment types with one simple integration. To learn more and to try out their sandbox, go to braintreepayments.com slash rubyrogues. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at digitalocean.com. If you use the code rubyrogues, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 234 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Coraline Ada Emke. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we have two guests. We have Adam Stachowiak. Yo. And Jared Santo. Hello, hello. Can we get introductions from you, gentlemen? You go first, Jared. All righty. So my name is Jared Santo, uh, co-host of the Changelog podcast. Also a freelance uh, software developer for a one-man firm named Object Lateral. Write web apps. Write web apps. And I'm Adam Stachowiak. Uh, I've been hosting the Changelog and several other podcasts for years, I guess. So editor-in-chief, host of the Changelog, if you listen to it, big thumbs. Yeah, I remember when it was uh, Adam Stachowiak and Win Netherland. Yes, that was 100 episodes ago at least, or more. It's a long time. That's okay. We're happy with Jared these days. So, <laughs> do you want to shout give- out to Win? I was a huge fan of his, which actually was how I started off getting involved. Was listening to to Adam and Win do the show, and then when Win went to GitHub and you know life gets busy and whatnot, I thought it'd help out, and so it kind of uh, snowballed into where we're at today. Yeah, totally. We brought you on to talk about Beyond Code, but I think giving some background on the changelog and what it is and what it's about will, I think, give us some idea of what Beyond Code is really out there for. We started the podcast slash blog, I guess, back in 2009. And it wasn't long after being at a conference thinking about another podcast to do for SaaS, which uh, Rubius are well familiar with now. I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be really interesting to talk through a changelog? 
to look at software as it changes, open source software, and just talk about the nuances and differences. And as I shared that with Wynn, uh, he was like, that's a really cool name. We should do that as a podcast. And I'm like, we should totally do it as a podcast. That's what I'm saying. And so we did. <laughs> and I would say we were... So this is 2009. I think I first started podcasting in 2006. The changelog grew out of a deep, deep passion for software developers, open source software, and this swell of movement. This was right when GitHub was not even... It was only popular to early software develop- developers. So I think... Contrasting GitHub now to GitHub then was pretty different. Like they were only, let's say, maybe a year old. So it was still this new swell of of encouragement and I guess pursuit of open source software. Now it's been around for a while, obviously, but it's like this new reigniting for the the community, making it social, making it what it is today. So we started the podcast around our love for software development and open source software, and we've covered all the gaps. So not just one particular camp. We cover everything we can, whatever's interesting, whatever is, I guess, new and fresh, as we have said over over the years, what's fresh and new in the open source world, uh, that's what we cover. So it's, and uh, is the format still mainly based around changelogs? That's a good question, because it actually never really, that was like the impetus of the idea. It wasn't, we never like went and said, okay, Ruby or Ruby on Rails, you recently read from this version to this version, and we're actually looking at your changelog going line by line. It never actually got to that point. It was just the what spawned the idea of looking at the changes of software over time and talking to the maintainers, talking to people, influencers in that community, in that camp, and and kind of getting a snapshot of what's happening, what's changing, how business has evolved around it. And it's never really gotten to the changelog meta as we kind of came from. That, Except that's for the episode with Olivier Lacan, which was very meta, which is yeah, when he came meta. on to promote everybody keeping a changelog, which that one was very much about changelogs. Totally. <laughs> I, I think one thing that's really interesting about this is that you kind of highlight the story behind it. And I think a lot of times we get focused on the technology and we're, we forget that there's a story behind it, that there are people behind it, that there's there's something more to it than just, oh, what can it do? or you know, why Why should I care? I would just say that that's exactly it. Like to kind of tee up another podcast I've done, which is Founders Talk. I've always tried to bring some aspect of digging deeper and finding out the the real story behind something. So when we look at like, for example, a pretty big show we've done recently in the last, say, 40 or so episodes, so episodes was a uh, DHH. And it was 10 years of Rails with DHH. It was like, we really planned for that show. It was an hour and 45 minutes. And we didn't just talk about Rails. We talked about all sorts of stuff that was like, probably things that David may not have shared so much because maybe nobody dug deeper into the story. And so we got, if you listen back to that show, you'll hear a much different side, I think, personally, of David than you may have heard from him in the past. Although you will have his, his uh, things he's notorious for, which is good, but we still got to see a different side of David. And it was always important to pursue the story, pursue the heart behind someone. So not just the software and its revs, which is, you know, Gorlans, your your question about change logs and covering those, that was important. But I think what's really important for this community is to realize there's real people behind the software, real lives at stake, real families, wives, kids, moms, dads, whatever. And what we do to those people and how we treat those people and how we love those people is super impactful to their lives and how we actually use our software can also change our lives. 
I think it's really interesting, especially in the case of DHH, who is such a such a public figure and so polarizing in a lot of ways in the way that he communicates. But in my like personal interactions with him, which granted have been very limited, he shows a humanity that his public persona doesn't necessarily portray. Yeah, David's uh, definitely a unique, awesome dude. Yep. I think another good example of, of us doing that, which actually, Adam, I have to give it to you, spearheaded this kind of string of shows more so than I did, was last year the IOJS and NodeJS split and merger, where we really talked with the players involved in that and really tried to dig down deep and uh, tell that story from both sides. We had, was it Michael Rogers from IO, as well as, what's the uh, CEO of Joint, Adam? Scott Hammond. Scott Adams, so he told the story from both sides and actually tracked that as the split happened and then the happy story. Of- and the interesting thing about Scott, too, Jared, is that that was actually not the easiest show to, to get a hold of, not because Scott is hard to get a hold of, but because at the time things were so tumultuous, I guess, about mm-hmm. Node and what was happening mm-hmm. that journalists weren't really being nice to him. And I was like, hey, dude, I'm not bringing you on this show to corner you. I want to have a real conversation about what's happening. I think it's a really important thing for you to share back with the community. And I'm not out to get you. So please come on the show. Feel free. You know, you're not going to walk out with bloody eyes or black eyes or whatever. I'm going to be nice to you. I might ask you hard questions and not only have the hook, but I'm not coming. I'm not asking you on this show to beat you up. Yeah. One other thing that was interesting about that particular thing was what we had the IOJS guys on JavaScript Jabber pretty soon after the split. And what was really interesting was that the things that they were saying about the Node.js team and the way that things had gone, they were actually very highly complimentary of them and just saying, you know, these are just some other things that we feel like we need. And so, you know, we kind of hemmed and hawed and finally decided we had to fork the project. And it turned out to be a good thing in the sense that it inspired some people to do some things. And they eventually, you know, figured out how to make it all work the way that everybody wanted it to go. But at the same time, yeah, it was really interesting to see that side of things. And then at the same time, see everybody else, you know, attacking the the node team or see other people, you know, basically, yeah, you know, going in and going after some of these people. And it, anyway, right. what would at the same time, Scott was a new CEO to join. In. And so uh-huh. as uh, voyeurs, I guess, from the outside, so to speak, into a community or into a split like that, you assume the worst, right? You assume the split was because some company was evil, right? Yeah. Somebody was controlling node and they wouldn't let the software developers or the people actually uh, maintain this awesome beast do what they got to do. So they, they split, they, they assume the worst and it's our jobs as podcasters, our jobs as journalists and people who I think is, if you ask us what the secret sauce is of us, it's that we care, right? If you care about the community, you will help find the right story. And I feel like if you go and listen to the one that Jerry was referencing with Michael Rogers uh, about the split or just like right after the split or when IO first split off, he helps share the story of why, like you said, with, with your show. And then with Scott, you you see this different side of a compassionate CEO who's barely a year old into Joyent, who wants to solve a community problem in a good way that helps the enterprises who have invested in it and the software developers who, who love the software. To me, it's the best thing to have that kind of job. Mm-hmm. Well, and you get to have those conversations, right? It's because not everybody can sit down with the CEO of Joyent or the team lead on IOJS or Node.js or... You know, you don't get a chance to sit down and pick Matt's brain about why he's adding certain things to, you know, MRI. 
And that, that's kind of where we come in, I think. Yeah. And, and I think this uh-huh. is something that the changelog does very well is that you do, you have that conversation and you, you kind of dig in and figure out, okay, what, what's going on here and what makes this, what makes this tick? Why is this person the way that they are? And why are they, why are they making the decisions that they are? And then all of a sudden you get this whole other aspect of the technology that you're picking up. Yeah. I think it comes back to the fact that all software problems end up being people problems. Yep. <laughs> totally true. Yep. And another interesting aspect of that, that Scott Hammond show, just from a perspective of somebody who's been involved in open source and watched it grow over the last, you know, five or 10 years is you're dealing with PR firms, you know, to even to get to Scott, like we're dealing with PR firms now in the open source world. And of course, you know, we still do shows where it's just like, you know, you at mention somebody on GitHub and then they, they right. email you and then you're on the phone a half an hour later. But yeah, there's a lot more serious. There's big money here now. There's large corporations. There's PR. And I think now more so than ever, it's important that, you know, we get past those facades and talk to people. On the note of PR, that show almost didn't happen because of PR. Because when Scott was originally and to no discredit to him, but when he was originally trying to plan the show with me, I think because of his defenses, you know, I was like, hey, I don't want to come on here and have Adam beat me up. He wanted to bring on other people to support him to share this message. And I was like, hey, I don't really think it makes sense to have people who I don't think really represent you and your company. Come on. I'm not having you mm-hmm. on here to beat you up. So just be a little bit vulnerable. I promise you that I'm not out to get you and just trust me. And it almost didn't happen because of that. We had like four or five marketing people, two PR people, and Scott. And I was like, that's not the show I want to produce. Yep. I'm curious. You guys have seen, you talked about the corporatization of OS. What do you think we've gained and lost through that process that you've been witness to? That's a good question. I think, you know, what we've gained is a lot more open source code. And a lot of the nice thing about large, uh, financially successful corporations contributing to open source is, you know, we talk about building on the shoulders of giants and it's just taller giants, right? So Facebook can sink thousands of man hours into libraries like React and React Native. And if they kept those to themselves, then we, I think we can all agree that the software world is a less rich place. So we definitely have gained that. Um, I'm not against it by any means. What we've, what we've lost is, I don't know, a bit of a personality or, a per, you know, this one-on-one aspect, this hacker individuality, which is still there, but it sometimes gets shrouded. Right. I think one thing we try to do is shine a light on open source projects that matter. And more and more, we're having to do that for the little guy because there's so many big guys. And anytime Google releases an open source project, like I think yesterday they just released a neural networks thing, TensorFlow or something like that. And it's like top of hacker news all day long, you know, all these comments. Google's going to make a splash. Um, but there's a lot of little players out there, uh, like you and I, who have skills and have something to give. And it's just harder for them to have a voice now because there's just a lot mm. more louder voices. Yep. Which we'll say again when we talk about Beyond Code, but that's exactly it. Like we wanted to showcase the real people behind communities. And so as we get into that conversation, I'm not trying to tee it off right now, but at the same time, we almost felt like we were in a way marketing open source as a podcast and as a blog. And in a way, it's kind of um, frustrating because it's up to our discernment. We have this barrier, this line, like we are the, the final line to like producing something you know, whether audio or in text, but it was always about focusing on people who were doing awesome stuff that may not be getting the notoriety they deserve or getting the, the, the light they deserve 
or the promotion they deserve. And that was that's definitely in the changelog roots. Well, that's one thing when I got on and actually looked at what Beyond Code was. I mean, you know, it is. It's the stories of these fascinating people. I mean, you know, you've got Richard Schneeman from Heroku and, you know, Terrence Lee and Nola Stowe, who I've, you know, talked to several times and just all these people that do all this awesome stuff in the community. And yeah, just to kind of get five minutes to say, oh, this is a part of who we are. This is a part of what we do. It's just really, really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for that comment. I appreciate it. Maybe that'd be a good time, Adam, to tee up what Beyond Code exactly is. What I want to know first is uh, how, how did this kind of come to be a thing that you decided you wanted to do? Uh, well, we edit audio and video isn't that much different. It's a bit more immersive. And we thought, why not? So that's kind of how it came to be. And then the deeper story is that we love telling stories and what better way to tell a story than with video and audio? So we've always been in the audio world and producing podcasts. The Changelog isn't the only podcast I've done. I've done you know several others over my history and, and career in podcasting. But it was really about, I guess, several ways. You know, we wanted to get out actually of our home offices. Jared works from home. I work from home. So we don't have you know this community we go and see every day when we go to work. So we desperately need that community. And uh, as podcasters, you know, for the changelog, it's part of who we are to go out and meet people and introduce ourselves to others and get exposed to you know new camps, new languages, new ways of thinking. And so for us, it was like, this is going to help us get out and meet people, serve the community even better, help tell stories in a way that's never been done before and take uh, an artistic approach to it. Not just let's get a camera and shoot raw video and you know, just cut it at the ends and, and there you go, world. We actually have a professional editor with 15 plus experiences. You know, he's he's edited uh, documentaries, feature films, music videos. And so we brought this person on to help us, you know, with the final mile of this, not just the idea of it, but to actually produce something that's visually appealing to watch and also just really great stories of people. So what made you decide to pick these particular conferences? Well, I live in Houston. Austin is a throne stowaway. That one made sense. Plus, we love Ruby. Ruby is in our roots at the changelog. I would actually say for a while, we were bashed a bit because we were more Ruby focused than we were open source focused. But we've always been the kind of publication and the kind of podcast that was okay with not so much serving our own needs, but going where we're comfortable. But I think over time, Jerry, we've definitely broken out of our skin and gone places we weren't very comfortable. So it was naturally easy to, you know, camp out in Ruby for us. So going to Keep Ruby Weird was pretty easy. We reached out to the organizers. They were gracious to us. They worked with us to come over and uh, support that conference. And we chose Keep Ruby Weird because it was in our backyard. It was like, if we can do this in our backyard, we can do it anywhere. Yeah. And since then, we've been to... Another place in Adam's backyard, Space City JS, which will be our season two, which is launching today and or tomorrow as soon as possible. Um, <laughs> I know how that two. goes. <laughs> I've got <laughs> the these videos and I don't have time to yeah. put them up. By the time this show goes live, unless you guys y'all are publishing it in like thirty minutes, we're gonna have space, you know, season two up there. That was Space City JS. So we switched languages, you know, went from a Ruby conference to a JavaScript conference. Probably a natural progress for Adam and I. As we go from our most comfort to our, it's probably our second most comfortable programming language. Um, and I was also right in Adam's backyard. And then season three will be, we filmed it last summer 
in Denver at GopherCon. So that will be season three. And then season four, which we wrapped up just in August, is at NEJSConf. So back to JavaScript, but this time in my hometown of Omaha. Yeah. So it's kind of a locality. We also put an issue up on our ping repo, which is kind of an open inbox that we have, asking people where we should, we should go and letting uh, you know the listeners and the, the community of the changelog influence which conferences we're going to go to because we can only pick maybe four or six a year that Adam and I can reliably get to just because of family and whatnot. And so I think GopherCon came specifically out of that issue on yeah. the repo where one of the organizers of GopherCon said, hey, come to GopherCon. It's awesome. And we said, all right. Yeah, Brian Kettleson, he was like, you have to come to GopherCon. Like, he wasn't even like, you will you? It was more like, you have to. You must be here. And before you know it, we're talking to Eric and Brian, the organizers of GopherCon, and also the organizers of Gopher Academy, which I believe, it, I might be incorrect about this, but I'm almost certain it's a nonprofit or it makes no profit because it pours all the money it does make back into the community. So it's not really a for-profit venture from my understanding. But working with those guys was really awesome. And that issue, Jared, was was what opened up, I think, the direction for this year. Like We didn't say, hey, these. We, I guess we put some mile markers in place and said, this is where we think we should go. But between Brian and some others, we were adding other other conferences to the list. So you've um, interacted with a lot of different open source communities that are like centered around languages. What are some of the major differences you see between these communities? I don't think I see that many differences. I think the biggest differences is maybe how far along they are in certain technologies or certain adoptions and maybe how much they've copied from others to move theirs along. What I do see as a consistency is real humans who care. And so there's always software and there's always going to be software. There's always going to be humans behind that software. And I think that's the similarity between them all for me. Uh, I always joke yeah. that we're prettier over here, but uh, <laughs> over here could be, mean anything, right? Right. So. Right. What do you think, Jared? Yeah, I mean, well, I think mostly you find differences in like technical interests more than you find in, you know, in diversity or the types of things that they do. I mean, all the communities that we've been involved with at these conferences have been very uh, accepting and open. Um, so there's really no differences there. But generally you find like at, at GopherCon, we, we saw a lot more interest in DevOps and infrastructure. I mean, it kind of makes systems, sense, right? Because yeah. yeah, systems, language, systems, people. In Ruby and JavaScript conferences, you find more web developers. We find people at JavaScript conferences very interested in hardware and drones and robots and whatnot, but you find that in Go as well. So there's slight nuances, but at the end of the day, it's just all people. I think too, it seems like it's a logical thing you would observe, but I think what's always been encouraging to me is to find how passionate people are in their niches. Like you go, like for example, we, his name's blocking me, Jared, so help me out on this one, but the last show we just did with robots, his name's, his name's Ron, gapped me, but he did a... Ron Evans with Hybrid Group. Yes. That guy... Rogues. He is so passionate about, you know, the interaction between humans, robots, and software. And it's just so encouraging to me to go out and meet people that are just so passionate about things. And, they, and, and then also to find all the ways they give back, all the ways, all the time they serve that, sure, it's for their company to a degree, but they don't have to go to every single hackathon, every single robot-based hackathon and be there and take the patient time to go through people getting started with getting go up on their on their system or whatever it takes to get to a point where they can actually do something with it. Like Ron was so encouraging to me and 
you can take that with that observant thing with Ron and, you know, copy and paste it across lots of different places and just see people who are so patient, so passionate about just the innovation of software development, the innovation and sharing of open source and the community around it that they just continually give. And that's what's encouraging to me is like you always find love in this community. And I think it's important to to really see that. I think, Chuck, didn't you guys have Ron on Ruby Rogues uh, at some point talking about education? Yeah, I, I was, believe so. I sh- yeah, that was a really good show. He's an interesting guy for sure. Ron Evans. Yep. Yeah, he was fun to talk to. And yeah, he's been on the show. I don't remember if it was education or something else, but yeah, we definitely had a good talk about something. And he's fun to hang out with at the conferences too. So we met, I guess we met up with, with Ron at the pre party at GopherCon. And man, does he just have so much energy? Like he's uh, hard to contain, like the genie yes. in Aladdin almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. So where are you kind of hoping that the changelog and beyond code wind up going from here? I would say that uh, OzCon would be the next awesome destination for us. So specifically to a couple conferences, we'd love to make it to Strange Loop. We'd love to make it to OzCon just because those are two conferences. Well, one, Jared loves uh, Strange Loop, and he turned me on to that that conference. And I was like, wow, that's such a diverse, polyglot-focused conference that totally fits you know, our DNA of like serving the entire open source community. And uh, for OzCon, it's it's like the mothership of open source to a degree. Uh, I think they've been doing that conference for 17 years. So to become a part of or document a part of such a staple conference would be phenomenal. Uh, at the same time, we love regional conferences too. We love 150, 200 people. Those are really intimate, mm-hmm. small. We love those kinds of conferences as well because we actually get to meet real people. With the larger conferences, it's a little harder. I think we got lucky at, at GopherCon because there was 13, 1,400 people there. And we actually met a lot, more than I expected, a lot of listeners of the Change Look. So that was pretty encouraging. We had to give out, I think, uh, we gave out like 120 t-shirts. Uh, we took men's and women's. So everybody got a shirt. Thank you. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Although I will say I was sad about American Apparel's sizing of the women's. I think that they could actually be a little bit more generous with uh, garment because the small was like baby small and the extra large, which you would think <laughs> maybe I don't wear an extra large, but I think mediums were actually larges and extra larges. So it was, it was kind of a, a bummer in that case. We basically just took extra larges and larges because mediums and smalls were just like way too small for most people. So that was a bummer on that part. So we won't be, you know, their bankruptcy makes it possible, you know, makes that a truth too, but we won't be using American apparel on the next run of our t-shirts. So we like to give out t-shirts too. You know, we will mail. If we go to a conference, and we don't have enough. We're going to take down an address and we're going to ship off a t-shirt. No charge. Like if we meet you face to face, that's how you get a free t-shirt. Otherwise we do sell them on site. We don't really sell them for a profit. We just kind of put it out there because, you know, who doesn't want to have a t-shirt out there with their podcast logo on it and, uh, you know, allow the community to represent what they want to represent. But we love giving away free t-shirts at conferences. But where I think we want to take the this podcast and that video show, I think, Jared, you can back me up on this. I think the questions we ask are pretty interesting, but having done four seasons, we think we need to do more questions. So the basics of the show is it's a brief interview series. We shoot it at conferences only, at least so far. We may change that tune. Uh, I'm not against it, but it's just not something we've thought thought about. But we shoot it at the conferences after party. So that's a chance for people to get comfortable and get relaxed. Like if you're at the conference, 
asking people to do an interview like this is you don't I don't think we'd get the same response because you're thinking about the next talk or the next break or you're hungry. You want to go to the bathroom. You want to get some coffee, you know, whatever it might be, your coworkers, you're trying to keep up, you're trying to meet people. You don't want the interviews, you know, and so the the after party is a place where people get relaxed and we get a chance to sort of uh, take down the guard, so to speak. So that's the premise of the show. It's it's not very long, about five, I would say five to ten minutes per person. We ask five questions while I would say Jared directs it. So he asks five questions. Jared, you want to share the questions or any question that you ask? Sure. So kind of the staple question, which we get directly off the show, is who is your programming hero? Yeah. I'll start off with that one. We try to ask questions that open people up and, and get them to talk. So we'll we'll then ask, um, if you had to relearn how to code all over again, what would you tell yourself? Which that gets a lot of people just to stand there. <laughs> and we let them think for as long as necessary before answering. But that's kind of one of those, oh man, how am I going to answer that kind of questions? I don't want to reveal all of them, I guess, except to say that we also have one that tries to pin a place and a time, which is what's the most exciting thing in software right now, which is very focused on, uh, you know, it's 2014 in the in the fall, and I'm at a Ruby conference. And so those those answers tend to be very specific to the group of people that we're with and the time that we're talking to them. So that's a few of them. There's a couple more. But yeah, we've definitely thought about regrouping now that people kind of know these five questions and are used to them, um, especially if we revisit the same conferences. Yeah. Just getting a, a new set out there. The hard part is coming up with the questions, I guess. <laughs> I mean, our aim, though, with it is to step into a community with their invitation, obviously, and pull back the veil, actually see real people, not just and nothing against speakers and keynoters. They're awesome. And it takes such courage to do that anyways. But sometimes that's all the community sees. Our aim is to help pull back that veil and invite people who are not the heroes, not the known people, so to speak. Obviously, the invitation is for everybody. So we're not saying, well, it's, you know, speakers, you've already had your light. No, it's not like that. But our hope is to show the real people behind the community. Real answers, sometimes very open about their past, maybe even, uh, or, or even open about their aspirations, a bit more human side to who they are. And so our, our aim is always that. So if, if someone out there is listening to this and you know of a conference or you run a conference and you want that kind of, thing at your conference, we would gladly go so we don't have a list and say, well, we're only going to these conferences. Our aim is to help share the real people behind open source software. That's our aim. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I just had an idea for our next version. We could take six people, developers, put them in a house and film them, and then we can see what happens when they... <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> is that like a, an MTV spinoff? When they stop getting real. Well, how does it go? When they start getting real. Sorry, I just had flashbacks to the real world when you talked about seeing the real people. Real so, world Ruby. One thing that's funny that we did a couple of years ago is we had a retreat for the Ruby Rogues. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, we actually set up an audio recorder just in one of the corners and just left it running. And then we pulled clips out of that for a show. And that was really, really interesting. And I, I think it would be interesting just to see what kinds of conversations come up and yeah. figure out, you know, what gets people going and how they connect and what they connect over and all of those kinds of things. I think it would be really interesting just to see what happened there. I think you, you get different answers, too, when they're not in front of a mic. You yeah. know, when you don't feel the pressure of, I've got to give a noteworthy answer here. You know, yeah. when you can just right. kind of take the guard down. Yep. 
Well, start off as a joke, but I think we should just do it then. Yeah. That <laughs> could be an interesting <laughs> episode. So I'm curious, you guys have interviewed a lot of different kinds of people. Is there someone you've always wanted to interview that you haven't been able to get to yet? Uh, you want to you wanna hear our wish list, huh? Definitely. Let me see here. <laughs> I can help you out. I totally come on your show. I'm I, just kidding. I oh, there's, have, one. there's one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one. So there, that's an easy one. Backlog here. So Matt, if you're listening, we would love to produce the show. 20 years of Ruby with Matt's. We'd love to do it this year because this is Ruby's 20th year anniversary. Brendan Ike, if you're listening to this show, uh, maybe you're a fan of JavaScript Jabber. Maybe you're a fan of the changelog. I don't know. But we'd also like to produce the show called 20 Years of JavaScript with Brendan Ike. Uh, those are two huge heroes I think we would love to talk to. I wouldn't mind talking to Bill O'Reilly. While we would love to get Linus on the show, I don't think that he is maybe open to podcasts. But uh, Junio Hemino, uh, I believe that's how you say his name, but that's Japanese, so totally butchered, I'm sure. It's 10 years of Git with him. He took over maintainership a year after Git was open sourced and sort of, I'm sure Linus is still involved, but uh, Junio kind of took over the main maintainer, so we'd love to get him on the show. Those are some of the ones that I think we have in our backlog that's like wishes. And then uh, I would say if anybody at all from Research Kit from Apple is listening, come on the change log. Tell the story of how Apple is open sourcing Research Kit. We'd love to hear the deeper story behind it, uh, what the plans are for the API, and as much as you can share. So that's that's a, a big show we'd love to do. Jared, what about you? What, what's on your list? Yeah, I was just going to say Research Kit is actually probably my number one, just because it's like a white whale or something. Talk about PR firms getting anybody from Apple to come on a, a show and talk about open source would be pretty epic, I think, and uh, tons of stories to tell there. So that would, that's, that's, that would be mine. That's our wish list. If you're listening to this and you have connections to Matt's, Brennan Ike, anybody from Research Kit, well, we've, e- we've been emailing Research Kit and they've been communicating in, in the issues on GitHub, which is a, a neat hack to, to get attached to people. But we haven't made any headway on actually getting some confirmations on the shows. But those are the shows we'd love to produce. Those are the actual titles, uh, much like we did with DHH with 10 Years of Rails. We thought it would be really interesting to kind of visit some of the larger camps like Ruby, JavaScript, Git. Who doesn't use Git? And camp out in those areas and talk to the pe- people behind it. It would be such an awesome thing to have that conversation. Yeah, um, I, I'll do what I can uh, with Brendan Ike because we exchange emails periodically after he came on JavaScript Jabber. We've also tried to get Matt's on the show, and uh, generally the impression that I've gotten is that he's not completely comfortable having an off-the-cuff conversation in English for a half hour or an hour, even though I, I, I don't know if he completely understands either that uh, the Ruby community would rally around that show, and they would be happy to hear him say, I like gruel. I like cereal. I mean, he could say anything he wanted, and we'd all be happy to have him on the show. But yeah. I would love to hear that show too, the Matt show. <laughs> I thought Gruel was an open source library Amen. I wasn't aware of first. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking Game of Thrones with Hodo. That's all he says. Hodo, picks, Hodo. Save it for the picks. Save it for the picks. I'll see what I can do to help you out with some of those. I'm sure we got more heroes behind the scenes, so don't take that as a limited list. We got a huge backlog of ideas. Those are just some of the ones that jumped out at me uh, quite yep. quickly. Sarah Chips, too. She, I love what she's doing. With jewel bots. I'm so oh, fascinated yeah. about that. And Jared, you wanted to have her keynote any JS conf. That didn't happen. I'm not sure what happened there, but she's another person that we look up to and would love to have on the show. So absolutely. All so right. you've heard a lot of origin stories for open source projects. What's the most surprising origin story you've heard? 
origin stories for a specific project or like for a person to get into it um either i guess okay i'll just broaden your question a bit so i have an answer i think mitchell hashimoto's origin into software in general was very interesting um he's he's the creator of vagrant and now auto HashiCorp. i'm sure many rogues listeners are familiar with Mm -hmm. mitchell just had him on recently and he just told us how he got into software and really starting his first company while in college was he was just playing, what was it called, Adam, Neopets? Basically, Neopets, yeah. Yeah, the, an online game, and he wanted to hack it and automate it and basically cheat. <laughs> and so that's what he did. He started cheating at Neopets. What's amazing about that is not only did he get into software and start writing software at that time, uh, he also managed to parlay that into a thriving business while he was in college. Um, Neo Ch- Neopets cheats. That's how my daughter is learning HTML is by playing on Neopets and some other like game sites like that where you can have See? a custom storefront. So that's a that's an entryway for a lot of especially girls. Yeah. Uh, that's the same thing like Second Life too. I always I was like, wow, you make things in that game and like you I don't know what language it is, but it's some sort of scripting language. And like before you know it, you're like you're fiddling with the terminal and you're kind of getting more and more courage to step into the next thing. And the next thing you know, you're reading documentation for some sort of framework. And before you know it, you're a full-blown developer and you didn't even really, not so much try, but you were just following this kind of a small gap in the door, opening an interest. I think that as leaders, so if there's some leaders out there listening to the show, you should find ways to make more of those cracks available to younger folks, uh, boys and girls that are really interested and have a have a mind for and a curiosity for just following their passion. You know, make more of those openings. I'm yeah. a little bit older and I got online in the early 90s, but I know mushes, which are like MMORPGs without graphics for those who are mm. too young to remember mushes. They were a big part of me learning and mastering the craft of software development. That's actually how I learned about object-oriented programming was through programming on mushes. Hmm. Hmm. I think nowadays Minecraft has become uh, influential in True. getting kids into programming, which has seen a bit of a resurgence in Java interest, uh, interestingly, because that's how you write Minecraft mods. And so there's tons of opportunities with kids who just love Minecraft to death on hacking on it. And so they're learning Java to do so, which is awesome. Yeah, I've been looking at uh, actually getting my son into Lego League because he loves Legos and doing some of the programming with the Mindstorms. And so I'm kind of excited about the opportunities there to kind of get him into thinking about processes and solving problems and things like that with programming. And the uh, the visual software development kit for Mindstorms is pretty cool and pretty approachable. Well, there's a Boeing factory out here. I went to lunch uh, yesterday with a, a fellow who works for Family Search, which is part of my pick today. But he basically, uh, he said that, yeah, one of the Lego League coaches works for Boeing at a warehouse slash uh, assembly line up near Salt Lake. And they use the exact same visual interface. I forget what it's called. LabVIEW. Yeah, LabVIEW. They use the exact same thing to run their robots to build uh, 787s jets. Hmm. Um, JPL JPL also uses LabVIEW for a lot of the space program stuff. I actually, my first tech job was at a company called National Instruments, which is where LabVIEW originates. So I got to work on some of the Mars stuff in LabVIEW, which was really, really cool. To go back to the origin story, I didn't have a, a name right on the top of my head at the time, but uh, a recent guest, episode 172, Pierre Olivier Latour, 
if anybody has has ever used uh, let's see what it's what it's called it is i'm looking at our show notes and why is it not just jumping out at me he wrote something for apple i'm gonna go to his wikipedia page because that's that's <laughs> that's uh it was actually it was a gdc server or something like that that then apple eventually took in and it's the course composer and so like when i stumbled on this this fella and started looking into it and so he had a recent project called git up so git up and it's a a new i guess client for for git is probably the easiest way to describe it so when we found that project i was like that's pretty interesting we should have him on the show but as i dug deeper into this fella's story i couldn't help to use the to coin the term I couldn't help but Founders Talk this this particular show because so Founders Talk is another podcast I've done where I just talk to founders and essentially share their origin story, like where they came from, what got them into building a company or a product or software or whatever it might be they, they've built. And, you know, what are the what are the fails, what are the successes, why do they get into it? And with Pierre, I was like, wow, this is so interesting. Like Quartz Composer. So he created that, worked at Apple for a number of years, worked at Apple while they created the iPhone. So that's like the epic time to be there. And then his new project, GitHub, which is like adding to the user experience of Git, which we all know at the command line, Git can be pretty difficult and not always make the most sense, like reverting a commit. That's not the easiest thing to remember. And that's why we have things like Git oops. So thanks, Carlicia, for that. That's an inside thing. uh, Carlicia Campos, she's in the Go community works on GoBridge and volunteers there, but she shared in our Slack room this shorthand to, you know, to revert a Git commit. But long story short, this guy's story was so unique because he'd started in an age when the internet wasn't even really around and they distributed software via CD in the back of a magazine. And so he was really excited that he was writing software that was like just little scripts, nothing, nothing really huge, but he was sharing it. Like he was excited because his software was one day, on a CD in some sort of magazine that he was talking about. And uh, it was just really interesting to see that that kind of progression of like in a day and age when it wasn't really easy to communicate, it wasn't really easy to find communities. There wasn't a lot of documentation. So a lot of it was like totally shooting in the dark. And yet he found a way to create software that people liked and eventually create uh, Quartz Composer, which was ultimately sold to Apple. And he worked there and all that cool stuff. So it's a pretty cool story. All right. Anything else we should uh, dig into before we go to the picks? Well, the website for Beyond Code is beyondcode.tv. The website for the changelog is changelog.com. And uh, make sure you go to those places. The changelog is part of the 5x5 network, isn't it? So I would say yes. And I would say (laughs) no. And it's no discredit to Dan because I love Dan. Love 5x5. But I would say our relationship is more like syndication because... We don't produce more than one show. We're not, mm-hmm. again, nothing wrong with Dan whatsoever, but we don't have an affinity to stay at five by five. So if, if, as we begin to expand, which we didn't really talk about in this show, we have expansion plans and lots of plans that make us tap our fingers together and, and, uh, whisper in secret and stuff like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have plans, <laughs> you know, so we're not tied to five by five and Dan knows that. So I love Dan, love five by five, love Hattie, love all the work they've done with us, but. Where I would say it's more of a syndication partnership rather than a part of the family. But although I, I do feel like we're part of the family. So yes and no. That's a longer explanation to that yes and no answer. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to the picks. Before we get to picks, I want to take some time to thank our silver sponsor. Once again, this episode is sponsored by Braintree. Go check them out at braintreepayments.com slash rubyrogues. 
If you need any kind of credit card processing or payment processing in general, they are a great way to go, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. Coraline, do you have some picks for us? I do. My first pick um, is something that a friend of mine turned me on to, Ernie Miller, actually. It's um, Personality Insights from IBM Watson. So it's a service that uses linguistic analytics to extract social and cognitive characteristics from data that you give it. Um, you're supposed to put in personal, personally generated content like your blogs, your tweets, forum posts, and so on. You put in at least 3,500 words and you get a personality evaluation. Um, there's an API and it's open source. You can dig into it if you're interested. My personal profile, I put in a few articles that I wrote say that I'm shrewd and skeptical and that I consider helping others to get a large part of what I do. And I think it's important to take care of the people around me, which I think is pretty accurate. So it's kind of creepy in a way. But uh, I'll put a link to uh, the uh, demo in the show notes. The second pick is a book that I'm reading. I'm actually going to be writing a book with Ernie Miller called The Empathetic Developer. So I've been doing a lot of research on empathy. So I found this great book called The Art of Empathy. It's written by Carla McLaren. It teaches that empathy is the most important skill that we have to improve our relationships and our emotional life. Some interesting insights. Empathy is not a mystical phenomenon, but it's an innate ability that we can strengthen and develop, we can get stronger with. She talks about um, the fact that emotions are neurological programs that require action to satisfy, which I found really interesting. And she has like specific chapters on improving um, family relationships and workplace relationships. And just overall, it's a really interesting book. It's more of a, a handbook to getting a hold on your emotions and developing a natural empathy than an academic study. So it's very hands-on and it's been um, very useful to me so far. So I'd like to share that as well. All right. I'm going to throw a couple of picks out there. Uh, the first one is Family Search. That's FamilySearch.org. Now that is a genealogy or family history website. Uh, it's run by the LDS Church, but it has it's free and it's got a whole bunch of resources of of people uh, census data, all that kind of stuff. I don't think their collection is quite as extensive as, as say Ancestry.com, but uh, they definitely have quite a bit of stuff. And the thing that's really interesting about it is that they have an API that's been extended by another website called RelativeFinder.org, uh, which was put together at Brigham Young University. And what that does is you can create groups in there and then it will tell you how you're related to the people in your groups, provided they have their genealogical information in family search. The other thing that's interesting is that it also tells you who you're related to from like historical stuff. Now, because family search is run by the LDS church, there are a lot of LDS people that it'll tell you you're related to if you're related to them, which in my case, you know, I have Mormon pioneers and stuff. So that's all in there. But for example, Roger Sherman, who signed the constitution is my first cousin nine times removed. Um, I've got two relatives that are my 10th grade uncle and 10th grade aunt who were part of the Salem witch trials. I am related to Richard Warren, who came over on the Mayflower. He's my 12th great grandfather. And so you can get all this information. It's really awesome uh, about who you're related to and things like that. And so, yeah, I have Miles Standish, who was kind of the military leader of the Mayflower group. Uh, he's my 12th great uncle. And it'll actually tell you how you're related. So it'll trace back your line all the way back to your common ancestor and then trace back down the line to whoever you're related to. Anyway, it's it's a lot of fun. It's been really fun to put together. I'll create a group for the devchat.tv podcasts. Um, I'll just call it devchat. And if you want to join the group, then uh, the password will also be devchat. So if you want to just jump in there and then you can see maybe how you're related to me or to other listeners of the shows. 
But anyway, it's it's really fun, and I've really been enjoying it. Uh, the last pick I have is it's snowing. It's snowing right now outside, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I love really? the snow. I hate shoveling it, but I love playing in it. So snow is awesome. I'm gonna. My pick is actually snow. He you just picks snow. You can't pick snow. You can go to snow.com and see snow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, who here drinks coffee? I've been known to I drink do. a cup or two. I don't. Okay, so there's uh, this awesome coffee roaster, good friend of mine. And it's interesting to know a coffee roaster and to know that origin story. So to go back to your question earlier, Coraline, about origin stories. It's interesting to, to, to see where this came from. But he started roasting coffee and learning how to roast coffee on his stove, in his kitchen, in his house. And started to research beans and all these different things and really got into it. He's also a pastor at a church. So he has a, kind of a dual job in a way. He's part-time missionary and then full-time coffee roaster. But the coffee roasting company is called District Roasters. You can go to districtroasters.com. They do ship. They have some of the best coffees out there. And what's interesting, too, is they coupled this with actually serving back to the places they get beans. So in a lot of cases, the beans we actually get and use and grind and make our coffee and we drink every day, most times those are from areas of the world where they're not really financially well off or they have poor living conditions or just, and I don't know all the details, but it just turns out to be places where you actually want to invest back into people. And some of these people are just so passionate about doing their job. They've never even drank coffee before. They just roast, they just make the beans. They just, you know, produce the cherry that makes the bean. Uh, and so district roasters is a, is interesting because they actually give back to the places they get beans to. They, they run mission trips, they build schools, they build orphanages back there. And it's just really interesting how they approach their business model. So that's one pick. I'm told that Avdi likes to mention bourbons and different drinks he, he does. And sadly, he's not on the show, so we can't lament together on my favorites. But my <laughs> favorite single malt scotch is Balvini. Pick any year. I'll drink anything from Balvini. I don't care what blend it is. Google search that. B-A-L-V-E-N-I-E. I'm sure maybe Avdi even mentioned it once or twice. But... There is a new one I just recently found. It's a single malt. So it's not off, it's not often you can find a single malt scotch at 25 bucks. And if you do, it's usually like gray market or stolen. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's stolen or not. But nonetheless, it's never 25 bucks. Well, I found the best single malt scotch for 25 bucks at my local distributor, MR Liquors. And it's L-I. My dog's barking. So like T- Toby's getting a cameo on this one. Uh, I don't know his, his door. But L-I-S-M-O-R-E is uh, is the name of it. So it's Lismore. It's a single malt scotch, 25 bucks. Anyways, so Lismore scotch. I don't, I don't know what the website is for that one. I had a hard time finding it. So if you just search the internet for L-I-S-M-O-R-E, single malt scotch, you'll find it. All right, my turn. I'm going to stick with podcasts. I'm a huge podcast junkie. And probably a good chance, Chuck, that a lot of your listeners are also podcast fans. So I have one technical podcast and a couple of fun ones. Uh, the technical one is Elixir Fountain. It's a weekly show that is Elixir news and interviews. Uh, I've been interested in Elixir more and more lately and looking for an Elixir-related podcast on Elixir Fountain. Very good show. A couple of recent episodes that are worth checking out. Uh, Rogue Jessica Kerr was on recently. She keynoted at Elixir Conf, I believe. And as you all know, she's a very interesting and insightful person. So they had Jessica on. There's also a, an episode with Rob Connery, which is worth checking out. 
a non-technical, well, I guess it's kind of technical, but it's for fun podcast is called Robot or Not, which is a very brief, I'm talking sometimes less than three minutes show, where John Syracuse of the OS Ten Reviews fame and Jason Snell argue about whether or not certain things are or are not robots. And it's just a fun show. Uh, some interesting ones for you there, robots.txt. They argue about whether or not that text file on so many web servers is actually a robot. Um, the Terminator, that's episode 17. And they also argued about whether or not Cylons are robots in episode 26. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Third and final pick is a show I love called Song Exploder, um, which is a podcast where the musicians take apart their songs and then they tell the story of how they're made. And then at the very final end, it plays the entire song back for you. Really cool. Usually about 10 or 15 minute show, so not a huge commitment. Um, some episodes that I've loved of Song Exploder, uh, episode 29, The Imitation Game with Alexander Desplat. He's one of these guys with a great accent and talks about how he composed that. Just amazing. Uh, episode 37 with John Lund, Downton Abbey. You're probably familiar with that song. And then the last one, which I definitely recommend, is episode 39, which is Avengers Age of Ultron. I like the ones that they talk about. Uh, movie soundtracks and um, how they come up with those songs. So check out Song Exploder. All right. Well, thanks for coming, gentlemen. If is is there a good place for people to go find out more about what the two of you are up to? I'm assuming changelog.com. Yep, that'll do it. Changelog.com, beyondcode.tv for the film series. And of course, we're on Twitter as Changelog, all the social medias as Changelog. That's awesome. right. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, we'll wrap this one up and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlay.